Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. Access the number one care in Ohio anytime, anywhere. By Subway, the official training restaurant of the Cleveland Indians. By KeyBank, the banking home of the Cleveland Indians. Everyone, welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. We continue with our hot stove radio shows during the baseball offseason. A lot of news and notes to get to this week. Most notably, two members of the Cleveland Indians, and I'll bet you can guess who they are, were named American League Silver Slugger Award winners for excellence offensively at their respective positions. Shortstop Francisco Lindor and third baseman Jose Ramirez earning silver sluggers this year. We'll also hear from Tribe Manager Terry Francona as he discusses the Indians' new assistant hitting coach, Victor Rodriguez, coming over from the Boston Red Sox organization. We will visit with Matt Cataro, the now former Indians assistant hitting coach, on the move. He'll be Tampa Bay's third base coach in the coming season. And we'll also visit with Brad Grant, the Indians' Director of Amateur Scouting the past 10 seasons. Has done great work overseeing outstanding drafts for the Tribe. He's moving to a new spot in the Indians' front office on the baseball side. And we'll go through a lifetime in baseball with Brad Grant. Some great stories from him on his career path that led him to a prominent position in the Indians' front office and certainly a key position in terms of building an organization talent-wise. So a lot to get to. We'll also have our weekly game of the week, a look back at one of the best games of 2017. That's all coming your way as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Earlier this week, Brad Grant, who we've come to know over the past 10 years as the Indians Director of Amateur Scouting, he's overseen some tremendous drafts that have fueled the Indians' rise to the top of the American League. Well, Brad has been promoted to Vice President of Baseball Operations, Strategy, and Administration, going away from the scouting game for the first time in 23 seasons. That's when he started as an intern in that department. And uh, the past 10 years doing great work overseeing a department that has selected the likes of Francisco Lindor, Cody Allen, Jason Kipnis, Lonnie Chisenhall, Roberto Perez, Josh Tomlin. A good portion of the Indians roster the last several seasons made up of homegrown talent. And then a lot of drafted players involved in key trades for the Indians. Four tremendous prospects allowing the Indians to acquire their key to last season's postseason run, Andrew Miller. So some great work done over the years by Brad Grant and his staff. 
And when we had a chance to visit with Brad earlier this week, we looked at it from the perspective of a lifetime in baseball. And as Brad says, sometimes things don't work out the way you think they will when you take a certain position. And this was a youngster coming out of university school over on the east side. And uh, as part of his senior project, started working for the Cleveland Indians in anything but the scouting department, he explains. Yeah, the, the, the original plan I don't think was to end up in baseball operations. Uh, I actually started off in, in 1994 in ballpark operations with the Indians. I went to uh, university school and did a senior project and uh, did, the, uh, did the senior project and then came back every year while I was at Miami and worked in ballpark operations. And in 94, did a marketing internship uh, and then in 95, got the scouting internship, and, and that's kind of where my career went from there. So yeah, now you report to, to Mike Chernoff, the, the general manager. When you first started, it was Jim Folk in a completely different area of this business. And, and what was that like when you first got in, especially at a time when this ballpark was new? And, and I know you mentioned you worked a little while at the old place. Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, I would uh, my at the old place, my job was kind of to stock uh, Mr. Jacobs' refrigerator and do all these different things at the old stadium and then got to move into the new stadium uh, in, an, in a marketing internship, which allowed me to do all sorts of different things. And uh, at that point, I, it was it was a ex- really exciting time, obviously. The ballpark had just opened. Um, the downside to it, though, was that it was the strike year. So after uh, the season ended, um, there really weren't any other opportunities. Somebody gave me uh, really good advice uh, to look at other internships within um, the Indians instead of coming back to do a marketing internship again. And fortunately, the scouting internship was open. So as a, a young whippersnapper at a university school and then, and then Miami of Ohio, and your communications, marketing, ballpark ops, the idea of spending almost a quarter century going out looking for the next Manny Ramirez or the next Jim Tomei, who were the big guys when you first started, did that ever even cross your mind? No, never, never crossed my mind. I was actually I played baseball through high school, and then I was a swimmer uh, and swam all the way all four years at Miami. So I the the actual baseball operations side never crossed my mind at all. But once I got into the into the scouting side of it, it was more of an administrative position at first, um, and did that and, and saw my skill sets kind of transferred over into scouting. And I was fortunate to be uh, surrounded by a lot of great scouts who took me under their wing and kind of taught me the process. So. Guys like Rene Gaio, who's with the Pittsburgh Pirates now, Bill Schmidt with the Colorado Rockies, Jesse Flores with the Pirates. Those guys were all here in, in prominent scouting roles and, and taught me how to scout. Ten years as the director of amateur scouting, overseeing the drafts, and, and fans familiar at draft time with uh, who we talked to. We talked to Brad Grant when, when players are selected. But ten years, that's the longest that anyone has been in that position why is that so? Why does why is there not a big shelf life for that spot? Uh, there's a lot of responsibility to it, and a lot of pressure, obviously, that comes with that uh, position. So, uh, there's 25 scouts that you manage on a day-to-day basis. We have 17 area scouts and five regional supervisors and two national cross checkers. So, um, you're responsible for those people on a day-to-day basis, and then ultimately you're responsible for the process of the draft and the selections of the, of the draft picks. So. Um, there's a lot of time on the road. There's a lot of stress that comes with the management side of it. There's a lot of stress with, obviously, the selection side of it. So uh, over the course of time, that, all those things kind of add up. So 
uh, after 10 years, I, I think it's it's time for a change, and it also gives opportunities to others, which is which is really important. Development and growth with the Indians is something that we talk about all the time, and this gives the opportunity to Scott Barnsby to to lead the department, lead the day to day, and he's ready for it. He's been here for 15 years too, and um, it's a chance for him now to take on that voice and that leadership. We'll get to more on Scott in, in just a moment, but what are you going to miss about it? Uh, the interaction with our scouts, the day-to-day with our with our scouts. It, it, the, the, what motivated me the most was our people, um, and that and that part of it. And then also just seeing our our draft selections go out and have an impact on the on ultimately on the major league club, watching them grow, watching them progress, watching their development path, and then ultimately playing here. Brad Grant, now the former director of amateur scouting, now vice president of baseball operations and strategy. What does that mean? What what Where's your focus now as you try and help this organization maintain what has been a, a great standard? Um, I think it's it's two parts. I think the first part is, you know, kind of um, strategy and advancement of, of bigger picture items, capital project items, those type of things are something, obviously with my background in ballpark operations and stuff, are something that I've always had an interest in. Um, so that part of it. And then I'll also um, be there in kind of an advisory role uh, to all of our um, scouting side. So not only just the amateur, but the pro and international uh, be there to kind of advise and help the leaders of those departments. You know, obviously with 10, year, 10 drafts and 23 years in the department, I can probably add a little bit of advice to them. But, you know, they'll, they'll oversee the day-to-day. They'll oversee the whole process. I'll just be there as a resource to them. So draft day, you can still be in that room and take part in the M&Ms and the Three Musketeers and the Milky Ways. Yeah, I just don't have to be in the front of the room. I can be in the back now and kind of watch the whole thing. So so Scott Barnsby uh, takes over your spot now, Director of Amateur Scouting. What's his, his background in the organization and what will make him a great asset? Yeah, Scott's been with us for 15 years now, uh, and he's he's been in every role within amateur scouting. He started actually in the office doing our uh, advanced video work and then moved out into an area, was uh, an area scout in the Tennessee region for uh, a while, and then became a southeast uh, cross-checker for us, then a national scout for us, and ultimately been our assistant scouting director. So um, he's, he's had, a, he's had um, parts in every single role within amateur scouting and understands every single role of it. And I, I think the biggest uh, thing with Scott is he's built really strong relationships with all of our scouts, um, has their trust, and you know, they're going to do great things. They'll continue to push on, and we will, I don't think we'll miss a beat. A couple of closers here for you. Um, can you say who best player you ever saw, whether the Indians drafted him or not? That's a great question. Uh, Bryce Harper, obviously, was probably one of them. Um, and not necessarily what they've gone on to yeah. do, but, but at that high school or yeah. college level. Bryce Harper, um, and then I'd say watching David Price pitch, was probably one of the best um, arms that I saw. I think the best game that I've ever gone to was that Lindor Baez high school matchup, um, where you had Javier Baez and, and Francisco Lindor playing, you know, as 17-year-olds and putting on a show. And is there a player that that the Indians drafted that maybe surprised you that that you th- felt strongly about, but went on to to some really great things, or maybe is still going on to some great things? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think who, yeah, there's a bunch of them. I mean, they're all over the place, um, and there, there's more coming. I mean, you look at what Greg Allen did this year. I think that was probably one where it probably happened faster than any of us ever anticipated that happening. Um, but, you know, a little later selection, we've had a ton of 
later selections that have gone on and had an impact here. But I think just how quickly the Greg Allen one happened is kind of similar to the way Cody Allen, you know, kind of flew right through the system and all of a sudden here they are on the major league field. And in terms of, of going out, finding players, things like that, you always hear about scouts having ridiculous travel experiences and, and maybe getting caught missing a flight or something like that, trying to find that kid who, who could make a difference. And I know for you a lot of it was in a management role, and, and maybe it didn't come to that. But any experiences like that for you that, that uh, you kind of put in the memory bank and, and think about sometimes? Oh, I, yeah, I've got a, a thousand flight stories. and a, Yeah, uh, I think, the, you know, the greatest thing right now is my daughter's looking at colleges, and I've been to every single college campus probably uh, in the United States, so I can direct her exactly to where she wants to go. I think flight-wise, um, you know, I've, I, I've been to every single state except for three now. I have three left, so uh, I have plenty of flight stories. There's thousands of them that I could tell. <laughs> Well, Brad, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's been a, a great 10 years. A big reason the Indians are where they are now is because of the work you've done. We were going through the 40-man the roster at the end of 2017, and it is just filled with drafted players and, and also players acquired via trade for drafted players and things like that. And, and thanks so much for being a great resource for us when new players come into the system. Uh, it's been fun, Rosie, and I'll still be around. He'll still see me. So. That is Brad Grant, who has done great work over the years with the Indians Amateur Scouting Department. The last 10 is the Director of Amateur Scouting overseeing tremendous drafts that have enabled the Indians to reach the upper echelon of the American League. And best of luck to Scott Barnsby, who takes over that spot now as the Director of Amateur Scouting. Stay tuned. We'll have more to come as we continue with Tribe Talk. We'll hear about the Indians' new assistant hitting coach. That comes your way next as we continue on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. As we continue our hot stove shows, the award season is upon us. And earlier this week, the Gold Glove Award winners were announced. And despite some finalists, no Cleveland Indians won a Gold Glove this season. However, toward the tail end of the week, the Silver Slugger Award winners were announced. That's the best hitters at each position in each league. And two members of the Cleveland Indians, their double play combination, both named Silver Slugger Award winners. Shortstop Francisco Lindor and third baseman Jose Ramirez. They were among eight first-time recipients of the Silver Slugger. For Lindor, just a tremendous season. His second full season at the major league level, and he established career highs in almost every offensive category. Ranked third in the American League in extra base hits, 33 home runs, a major league record by a switch-hitting shortstop, and also a franchise record for shortstops for the Cleveland Indians. Just a tremendous year at the plate for Lindor. And maybe surpassed overall by Jose Ramirez, seemingly out of nowhere, although a very good season in 2016 for Ramirez. He started the year at third base, ended up at second base, and really put together one of the finest offensive seasons in Indians history. He joined Grady Sizemore as the only Indians hitter with at least 100 runs scored, 50 doubles, 25 home runs, and 15 stolen bases in the same season. Sizemore did it back in 2006. 
Jose Ramirez was your major, or excuse me, American League leader in extra base hits with 91 and led the American League in doubles with 56. Just a great year for Jose Ramirez at the plate and uh, certainly deserving both he and Lindor, American League Silver Slugger Award winners. And a big reason, or at least a big help for both over the course of the season, the work of hitting coaches, Ty Van Berkleo, the Indians hitting coach, and he was assisted by Matt Cataro. And uh, we will hear from Matt in our next segment as he is on the move. He's going to Tampa Bay to become the Rays' third base coach, and he'll be replaced by Victor Rodriguez. Rodriguez has spent 23 seasons with the Boston Red Sox in their organization, the last five as the assistant hitting coach at the major league level. But he came available at the tail end of this season, and Terry Francona called upon Rodriguez to fill the spot vacated by Matt Cataro. And when Terry Francona met with the Indians media, specifically Paul Hoynes from the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Anthony Castrovins from MLB.com earlier this week, he explained the reasons that set Victor Rodriguez apart as a great member and addition to the Indians coaching staff. The way he is able to develop relationships, I mean, it just came across so, so glaringly, like how much he cares about the players. Um, you know, I think anytime you have an ability to speak a second language, it's, it's a, it's a plus, it's a bonus. I don't think it's a reason to hire somebody. Um, but that was also attractive. But I think given Victor's personality, I think he can connect with anybody, which was more attractive than anything. How well did you know him, Tito, when you when you were in Boston? Uh, not great. Um, he was in the minor leagues when I was there. He came up a couple times, like if somebody got sick or somebody went home for a graduation. So I certainly knew of him. You know, I'd see him in spring training and things like that. But I haven't worked with him extensively. Um, I do know a, pe- a lot of a lot of players, a lot of staff that I respect a lot had glowing things to say about him. It speaks to the, the sheer value. I mean, I, I've seen the second hitting coach is a you know pivotal point for every organization now. Um, just the sheer volume of, of hitters they're dealing with, the, the sheer amount of time that goes into it, and all that. You know what, it's not just that, it's the preparation part of it, too, You know, because there's so much more at, at, at a coach's fingertips. So it's, it's you know, certainly working with players, you know, in the cage, during a game, being, being an ear for them, uh, being an ally for them when they're down. Uh, you know, but there's also preparation and getting them ready for a game and getting them properly ready um, because there is so much information at, at our – disposal now so i think we think victor crossed a lot of lines that he can really be a a nice nice addition to our team you know where we are right now you know we 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 interviewed some guys or we thought about guys in the organization we interviewed some guys outside the organization i think we just felt like with his experience it was a really good attractive higher for us right now. That's Indians manager Terry Francona talking about the addition of Victor Rodriguez as the new Indians assistant hitting coach. Stay tuned. When we return, we'll hear from Matt Cataro, the former now Indians assistant hitting coach. Always fun to talk baseball with Matt, and we'll hear from him when we return after this 
on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Now, this offseason has been marked by some changes to the Indians coaching staff. Of course, early in the, the offseason, Mickey Calloway, the outstanding pitching coach for the Tribe since 2013. Well, he has a chance to manage a major league ball club. He was named manager of the New York Mets shortly after the Indians season came to a close. And also on the move for the Tribe, there are now former assistant hitting coach Matt Cotaro, who did great work teaming with Ty Van Berkleo, the Indians hitting coach, and producing some outstanding seasons, especially the last two for the Indians. Second in the league in runs scored in 2016, third in the league in runs scored this past season. So some great work done by Ty Van Berkleo and the man they know as Q down in the Indians clubhouse. And uh, we had a chance to visit with Matt earlier this week and talk about that lifetime in baseball and some of the, the twists and turns that it can have. And his most recent brought him to Cleveland, and he spent four seasons here as the Indians' assistant hitting coach. It's a coaching career that now spans 14 seasons. It's his 22nd season in professional baseball that just concluded with a couple of different organizations, most notably for the most part with Tampa Bay as both a player, a coach, and a manager. He also managed the Indians' entry in the Arizona Fall League a season ago, so some good experience there. And in looking back on his time in Cleveland as he moves on to the Tampa Bay Rays, Matt Cotaro says it is with mixed emotions that he moves on. Oh, absolutely, Rosie. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And, um Definitely mixed emotions, very difficult decision to make. Um, you know, I was there in Cleveland for four years, and the best thing about it was the people. You know, I mean, I really loved the city. I loved the people that I came in contact with, and the, everybody in the organization treated me so well. So that's really what made it such a tough choice. And when something like this comes up, uh, how does that work in terms of, of trying to make that decision and why it's a, a good move for you at this particular time? Well, you know, it's just um, a totally different set of responsibilities. Um, working when in Cleveland with Ty Van Berkeley, I was doing a lot of the prep work um, for the hitting side, um, preparing for opposing pitchers. And in this case, um, the pregame stuff will be more on the pitching side helping the pitchers and catchers get synced up in preparation for the opposing hitters. And obviously the in-game responsibilities of coaching third base will be completely different from uh, what I was doing in-game would be to go back and forth between the cage and the dugout and help the hitters prepare for their pinch hit opportunities or um, entering the games late and trying to prep them for whatever might come up while I was in the cage. So those responsibilities are completely different. As far as what makes it a good time for me, I, you know, I think it's just an opportunity to advance a little bit in my career and uh, experience new opportunities and new uh, work with new people. And even though I have some familiarity with the people, um, I'll be working with them in a new role and possibility of learning some things um, that I – didn't have a chance to be exposed to in Cleveland at the present time. And uh, you mentioned uh, new opportunities and, and trying some different things. And 
uh, a career that's 22 seasons now in, in professional baseball, and I think that's a big reason why we, we enjoy talking to, to coaches who've been in it a long time. And during your time here, and obviously a lot of your career has been both playing-wise and uh, as a coach or, or a manager in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, but memories of Cleveland, you mentioned the people, but uh, on field you were here at a, a really good time in terms of uh, things that were happening. And, and what are some of your best memories uh, as you head to a different position now with a different organization? Well, obviously last year was just a, a magical Rise 16, you know, going to seventh game of the World Series was was amazing. Something that every day I took a moment to pinch myself and look around and say, "Hey, this is this is uh, the height of this sport," you know. And to be able to experience that with the coaching staff and the players that we had um, was just phenomenal. Something that you can't really dream up. Um, you know, I had spent so much of my time, my entire career prior to. 2014 in the minor leagues and so to to experience that um the four years i had in cleveland um being at the heights we were and obviously where they still are um is just something that you couldn't even imagine and q when we talk about about your position here uh, i think we probably fans probably hear much more from from other coaches besides the hitting coaches not because we don't like talking to you guys but but you guys are the grinders man you, you spend so much time in the indoor cages and um, you're on call all the time for for the players who want to hit and they love to hit they love to work uh, explain what that's like say a seven o'clock game and 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 when you start to get after it and and how uh, enthusiastic these guys are to just hit and try and figure some things out down in that cage well you know physically getting in the cage probably starts every day sometime between one thirty and 2 o'clock. And it's not um, a, it's not just full bore from that time until batting practice. Guys come in one or two at a time, and they have their routines that take anywhere from some guys are as short as five minutes and other guys are as long as, you know, sometimes up to 30 minutes. And it's, it's just different for every guy. So, Ty and I were there every day from, you know, roughly 1.30, o'clock up until batting practice, which is at uh, 4.15. And then we would be back in there uh, roughly 6 o'clock as the guys would come back in and circulate to get ready for the game, you know, at 7 or 7.10, whatever time the start time was. So, um, you know, there's four or five hours in there every day prior to the game. And then in my role, I would be in there. Um, during the game as well when guys wanted to get loose or take batting practice or or whatever the case was to make sure they were ready to go in. Matt Cotaro joining us, former Indians assistant hitting coach and, and, and such a uh, defined role, and, and you mentioned branching out a little bit with, with moving on to the Tampa Bay Rays to be their third base coach. Loyal listeners of this show may recall us talking to you uh, after you finished up uh, managing in the Arizona Fall League, and you did have four years as a manager in, in the Rays organization. Is that something that, that you still have aspirations to, to try and do down the road if the opportunity ever presented itself, or, or is it something that, that maybe you don't think about a whole lot? Well, it would definitely be something I would welcome if the opportunity presented itself for sure, but 
um, you know, there's only 30 of those jobs and a lot of people aren't looking to give them up. And there's a lot of people that are interested as well. Um, in my mind, um, what I, how I've approached my career is whatever job I'm in at the time, I try to do the best I can with it. And if opportunities come up because of that, then I'll consider them at that time. Um, and that's exactly what happened here. I mean, I was in no way looking to leave Cleveland, but the opportunity presented itself um, through Tampa. And with my wife and, and my family, we sat down and, you know, did the pros and cons and the timing of it and what was good, what we thought was good for us. And, and we decided to jump on the opportunity. So, um, you know, I, I see myself as a very loyal person and, I fell in love with Cleveland and was in no way looking to leave, but just felt like this opportunity was something that was uh, something I had to take a chance on now. I'm definitely going to miss it. That's the man known as Q, Matt Kitaro, the Indians' former now assistant hitting coach who did great work here from the 2014 season on through this season. And always great to talk baseball with Matt, and we thank him for coming by as he starts a new chapter in his coaching career with the Tampa Bay Rays down in St. Pete. Stay tuned. When we come back, it's another installment of our Game of the Week from 2017. Stay with us. It's coming up on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhaus back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Time now for our Game of the Week segment, and we take you back to a game played right here back on April the 11th, the first home game of the season for the Tribe, the home opener against the Chicago White Sox. The Indians were coming off their season-opening road trip at 3-3 three and three after sweeping Texas to begin the year. Then they went to Phoenix and the surprising Arizona Diamondbacks, well, they swept the Indians in what turned out to be a preview of the year to come for Arizona as they went on to become a wildcard team in the National League. Meanwhile, Chicago was coming in with very low expectations after going on a full-on rebuild during the wintertime, trading away some of their established veterans for prospects. They came in with a record of 2-3. and three. The pitching matchup for the home opener, James Shields on the mound for Chicago, and Carlos Carrasco was going for the Indians, and it was an assignment that Carrasco was proud to be a part of. You know what? This, uh, I'm really excited for that, for that moment, but uh, for us, it's going to be a normal game. For the fans, it's going to be you know, crazy, and I understand that. The, the way we played last year, the way we uh, finished last year, going to the World Series, so... Uh, those fans, they, they're going to go in the stadium, so they kind of enjoy the game. And that's what we're here for, just, you know, trying to, to play good and, you know, trying to do everything for those fans to, to get an insider. And it didn't take long for Carrasco to get his A game going. Carrasco was a winner in his start in Arlington, Texas. Now his 2-2 pitch to Saladino. And... Strike three called on the outside corner. A delayed call by Will Little. Saladino is still at home plate arguing the call. And what Saladino is saying, you didn't call that pitch a strike earlier in the count, and then you ring me up with that pitch. So Saladino is out looking to start today's ballgame. Then in the bottom half of the first inning, Francisco Lindor 
put the Indians on top. The 2-1 pitch. Swung and hit high! Deep to right! And there she goes! Francisco Lindors hit his fourth home run of this young season. Tops on the Indians ball club. And he really teed off deep into the lower deck and right. And the first of what will be many standing ovations for Frankie Lindor in 2017. My goodness. Francisco Lindor is now leading the American League in home runs with a host of others. That would be all the scoring for quite some time, as Shields and Carrasco were both dealing. Carrasco gave up a solo shot to Todd Frazier in the fifth inning that tied the ball game at one, but that would be it for the Sox on this late afternoon. Carrasco's seventh strikeout ended the seventh inning with the ball game still tied. Two down in the White Sox seventh, game deadlocked at a run. Now the 2-2 delivery. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Boy, what a job by Carrasco today. Seven strikeouts so far through seven innings. It's stretch time at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. Cleveland won. Chicago won. The Sox then threatened in the eighth inning. Runners on second and third. One out when a surprising defensive gem saved the day. The outfield playing the other way toward right for the right-handed hitter. Medium deep at best. Infield drawn in for that play at the plate if there is one. Miller trying to handle it himself with a strikeout. He sets. He fires. Swinging a liner to third. Diving grab by Yandy Diaz! What a play to save the day! Diaz diving toward second with the infield in. Rob Saladino of an RBI hit. And Yande Diaz playing third base like he's Travis Fryman. What a play by Diaz. Hardly any time to react when the infield is drawn in like that. Remember, it was Diaz who made the ball club out of spring training based mainly on his potential offensively with some question marks defensively. But early on in the season, he showed a pretty good glove at the hot corner. Then it was Andrew Miller finishing off the Sox in the eighth inning. White Sox still at second and third. Two down in the eighth. Game tied at one. And a one-two count on the outstanding young shortstop of the White Sox, Tim Anderson. Miller comes set. He lets it fly. Swing! And a miss. Got him with a back foot slider. Andrew Miller's done it again with a mammoth assist from Yandy Diaz. Indian Sox still tied at one, middle of the eighth. And in the ninth, Cody Allen would try to keep the Sox off the board and the game tied. Sellout crowd of 35,002 still on their feet. Cody Allen works first base side of the rubber into the wind. Here it comes. Curveball and a beauty. Strike three called. Frazier unhappy with Will Little. Cody Allen strikes out the side. Indians will try to get their first walk-off win at home here in the home opener. Indian Sox tied at one in the middle of the ninth. The Indians weren't able to get anything going either as both bullpens were tremendous and the game went to extra innings tied at one. 
Boone Logan and Brian Shaw took care of the White Sox with no problem in the top half of the 10th inning. So it looked like it might be a long day when White Sox relief pitcher Tommy Canely struck out the first two Indians in the bottom half of the 10th. But the Tribe had other plans. A walk to Francisco Lindor brought Michael Brantley to the plate. Brantley only played in 11 games last year because of the shoulder. Batted 231, no homers, seven RBIs a year ago. Now the payoff pitch. Swing and a line drive, base hit down the left field line. It'll head toward the corner. Lindor hits third. He'll try to score. Lindor's coming home. It's a game-winning double. Michael Brantley has come through. And welcome back, number 23. Walk-off win number one. And Michael Brantley who agonized all last season because he couldn't help this club win at all, has gone oppo with a game-winning double down the left field line and into the corner, and Lindor flying home from first with a winning run. And the Indians in 10 innings have today defeated the Chicago White Sox 2-1. to one. The next day we caught up with Dr. Smooth Michael Brantley, and talked about the big hit in the home opening win. Yeah, it was very special. Um, a lot of hard work went in this offseason. I was coming to the field. You know, I was scheduled to come five days a week. I was coming six. And then the day that I stayed at home on Sundays, I did more work. Uh, just trying to get back for that home opener to play in front of your home fans again. Um, a lot of people helped me out throughout the way. And you know, I'm so thankful and so blessed just to be out there yesterday in front of our home fans again. Michael, it was great to see yesterday, an exciting moment to be sure. Thanks for coming by. Thanks, Rose. Appreciate it. So there it was, a look back at our game of the week from 2017, the home opener for the Tribe, a 2-1 to extra inning win over the White Sox. That'll do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us. Hope you can join us again next weekend when we join you from right here at Progressive Field once again. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians. Radio Network.